right, yes, hello and welcome back to another episode of the Longball Football Podcast, uh, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? You had a good week? I'm all right, man. Yeah, I've got a bit of a cold, but um, I'm all good otherwise. How about you? Good. I'm pleased I survived all the uh, all the storms we've had in the UK. We've had three storms in, in five days. The garden fence is still standing. My shed is, is hasn't collapsed. I've lost a couple of plant pots, but that's that's about it. That's the best you can hope for in these uh, in these trying times. I, I was actually in the backyard sorting it out a bit because I haven't touched it since we've had the couple of storms. But um, sorry, this is a bit niche. Probably cut this out, but I did find a <laughs> a knickknack, nice and spicy packet, which I haven't seen for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, Ronnie, that was my favourite flavour of knickknacks. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great flavour. It's a great crisp, but I feel like you don't see it much these days. That's very true. It's a good point. You don't see them very much these days. Um, all right, can you do a, a blown over link to Champions League? Who got blown away by Man City? Oh, <laughs> come on, <laughs> behave! <laughs> all right, all right, hang on, hang on. Um, well, speaking of things uh being blown away, Barney, uh, let's talk about the Champions League. Um, obviously, sporting the only team involved in the Champions League last week, they played against uh Manchester City. Everyone knows the result already, it ended 5 0. Listen, we knew it was likely that sporting would probably lose the game. Um, before the match, all our conversation was about uh, Sporting's players giving the best account of themselves that they possibly could. And I wonder, Barney, do you feel that they did that in their first leg against Manchester City? I think that's a good question. I think some of them did. I think uh, a few players that impressed me, Mateus Nunes in particular, um, who I feel can sometimes be, uh, I'll say, quite up and down in, in his form in, in, throughout the season so far. So to see him put a, in a great performance against a fantastic team was good. Well, earlier, of course, in full of praise for him after the game, Barney, described him as one of the best midfielders in the world. Well, that, that's, that's a lovely compliment. And that's done uh, wonders for his transfer fee should he, should he move in the summer. <laughs> I think, Albert, it's, I, I think it was the Guardian Football Podcast I was listening to, but they made the, the excellent point and something I completely agree with the fact that to be fair like City were clinical and they, they the perhaps 5-0 is a flattering scoreline although they they definitely were the better team but the, 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 on the podcast they made the point that it doesn't feel right you know at the knockout stages of the Champions League and you've got the champions of Portugal being completely miles off a team in, in the knockout stages and Sporting have a a tenth of the wage budget that Man City have, you know, if that, the, I'd be surprised. That, yeah. then that disparity is just, I know this is a sort of bigger question, bigger picture point, but you know, still, I, I think I agree with that. It, it doesn't, something doesn't quite feel right. And as, as fantastic as Man City were, that, you know, there's always going to be this thing for me that is, it doesn't seem fair that the, the, the disparity between the two teams. Well, it's not a level playing field, is it? You know, one team's got resources backed by literally a nation state. They're a club owned by a, a very wealthy country, you know, so it's always going to be uh, an unfair playing field. Look, I don't think the game was was terrible. Obviously, it wasn't a result that anybody wanted, but I do think Sporting were a little bit sloppy at times. That's what I didn't like. Mm. I, didn't, I didn't think they did themselves any favours. That was the issue for me. I'm, I'm particularly thinking about uh, that third goal where, you know, it's a cross that comes in, a low cross, and two Sporting players have got the opportunity to, to deal with it. It's just messy defending, sloppy from players that you expect to do better. Um, and then, you know, they can see the relatively easy chance. But look, on the whole, I don't think you can hammer Sporting for for losing against, you know, arguably the best team on the planet with the best manager in the world and 
the most money to spend on players out of out of any team in the world, perhaps other than Newcastle these days. Um, but it, as you say, it was always going to be a mismatch. I would have liked for the world to have seen just how good this sporting side can be as an advocate for Portuguese football. I would have liked them to be able to show off uh, the great players that have the great football that they play. And I would have liked the manager to give a better account of himself coming up against Pep Guardiola. But look, it is what it is. And you know, can't change what happened now other than go out to Manchester and, and play for pride and, and try and give a better account of themselves than they did in the first leg. I love a little thing for me. Uh, and I don't think this is that relevant to this game in particular. Although the reason I'm bringing it up is that I, I feel like the away goal rule really has changed European football if it was still in place I think it does favour teams like Sporting because being the smaller team as you probably are going to be at the knockout stages having a, a tight home game first leg yeah. knowing that you can go away to the next the second leg away and, and maybe get away goal you know that maybe the Amherst tactics would have changed I, I don't know but I, I do feel like I missed the away goal rule you know it obviously doesn't make enough doesn't make an impact in this game, but I think it probably definitely makes an impact in, in, as you say, games that are going to be much tighter. And I'm completely with you. I think it was an absolute disaster to to remove that rule. Just another example of UEFA implementing rules, which are supposed to mean that there are less upsets. You know, that's exactly mm. what that rule is put in place to do. UEFA just want uh, the famous teams to go as far as possible and the small teams to get beat. Obviously, look, we're not making any excuses. Sporting well beaten in this game uh, by a much much better team, um, but yeah, it's not exactly uh, not exactly a level playing field, is it? Well, let's talk about the Europa League, Barney. I do want to start with the other game by Portuguese team that was lost. Braga losing two 0 to Sharif. Sharif dropped down from the Champions League, so this is not a team to be underestimated. And also playing away in Moldova with such a long journey, it's always going to be tough. But seriously, Barney. I was so disappointed by this result. I don't want to underestimate Sharif or I don't want to put them down. But surely Braga have got to be going into this game and getting a better result than losing 2-0. They're a bigger team than Sharif. They're more experienced in the Europa League. They've already beaten the likes of Michelin, uh, Ludogrets in the Europa League this season. So to come away with absolutely nothing from this game and to set themselves up with a really unnecessarily difficult second leg that's what's such a disappointment. And you know what, Barney? This is an example of a game uh, when it's a good job that there's no away goals rule because the fact that Braga have got no away goal, it's just, yeah, I thought it was a really, really disappointing result. I think thinking about Braga in the Europa League in recent history, Braga are sort of almost guaranteed every season to be in, in the Europa League. Whether they have a, an OK season or a slightly bad season, they're going to be there, barring an upset. And if you compare that with Sharif, Braga are going to come against these teams from smaller European leagues where if they're in the right moment, you know, Sharif got to the Champions League. This is a team who are having a fantastic run of form. All the pieces are coming together at the right time. They have the potential to turn it around, although, you know, 2-0 is going to be tough. Everything to do in the second leg, and I think those players need to put in a much better performance than they did in the first leg. And look, finally, Barney, let's talk about the one Portuguese team that did get a result, Porto. They beat Lazio 2-1, coming from behind as well. And look, before the game, Barney, everyone was giving it the all sorry ball this and Felipe Anderson that. Well, look, none of that matters when you've got Tony Martinez on your side because... Two goals from the big man up front in this game. A great result for Porto, of course, but 
what a great game for for Tony Martinez himself as well. You know, came into the starting eleven very unexpectedly and put in a fantastic performance. That's the thing with him, isn't it? He always seems to deliver, even if he hasn't been given a, a very long run in the team. And it was important as well. You know, as soon as Lazio went and goal up, you know, Lazio are a very good team. So the fact that Conchelle felt he had to make a bit of rotation, you know, not playing either Evan Nilsson or Taremi, the fact that he was able to do that and Tony Martin's deliver is fantastic and uh, puts him in a really strong position. Well, look, those Europa League second legs uh, will take place this week on Thursday. Uh, and of course, Benfica are in Champions League action against Ajax in the first leg of their knockout fixture. How are you feeling about that one, Barney? Are you feeling confident? Uh, not really, if I'm honest. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not sure the Benfica fans are either. <laughs> no, but I think, do you know, it'd be, I think it'd just be typical Benfica for them to, to get through to the next round and uh, all the other Portuguese teams not... I can just imagine that happening, part of me. Um, hey, if Torab plays, then they'll, they'll, they'll be fine. <laughs> Love that. Well, look, we'll see how that one goes. This podcast comes out on a Wednesday. Uh, the game takes place at 8pm, so the eagle-eared amongst you, the early birds, uh, will be listening to the show before that game, but I'm sure a lot of people will be listening to it afterwards. So just like last week, we'll wait and see how those results go and we'll come back on the show next week to discuss whatever happens in that game. Well, look, Barney, let's get stuck into the Primera Liga. Let's talk about our first game of the week and let's talk about Porto versus Morarens, a game that ended 1-0 to Porto away from home and earned the league leaders another three points. But it was not all plain sailing. There was some contentious refereeing there was plenty of spirit shown by Ricardo Sarpinta's Morarens side. Uh, and there were a couple of hairy moments for Sal's boys. But in the end, they saw out the game and can be happy with all three points. I think this is going to be the sort of performance we'll see a lot more uh, from Porto for the rest of the season. I think they can always draw parallels to um, Borting around this time last season, you know, when they were looking unbeatable, they had a great run of form. And then there's going to be a bit of a crunch time where things have to get a bit ugly and you do have to sort of battle your way through games more. And, and that's what they did in this game. Obviously, the goal was a, a, a really lovely goal to Remy assisting Evan Nielsen. I mean, I'd love the assist so much. However. I think that touch around the defender from Taremi mm. was just so sublime. And that, that's the one thing that's been consistent throughout Taremi's time at Porto, isn't it? Is that, that no matter who he plays with, be it Morega, Tony Martinez, Evan Olsen, he contributes in goals and assists. And he's he's that one constant. And I think I think this season I've I've perhaps not talked about him enough or underrated him, but you can't doubt this guy. He's he's phenomenal. Well, you mentioned it before, Barney, about both Taremi and Evan Olsen being dropped for the Europa League. I was so surprised to see to see that. My attitude was very much, what have they got coming up in the league? It's only Morrowin. Surely they can mm. rest them. But it was those two players, those rested players that linked up for the goal. And as you say, it was a very good goal in the end. I thought it was a very good first half in general for Porto. They played well against a, a, a difficult a difficult team, you know, a team that was never going to let them have tons of chances simply because of how defensive Moran set out to play. But they stuck to their game plan. They stuck to what they know and do best and got a very good goal and ending that first half 1-0. Whilst, you know, whilst they would have loved to have blown Morrowinds away 3-0, it's still a very respectable scoreline given the circumstances. I do have to say though, Barney, for me, I thought the second half was very different. I was actually a lot more impressed by Morins in the second half. The way they showed those characteristics that we linked with Salpinto so much, you know, they showed fight, they showed passion, they tried to get themselves opportunities, not lots of opportunities, but there were opportunities there. Two key moments for me in the game, obviously, uh, that free kick from Andre Luiz 
a fantastic strike that crashes off the crossbar. Diego Costa's rooted to the spot just a few millimetres lower and and that's 1-1 from Morens. And then, of course, the second chance, that one-on-one situation with Derek, he's through on goal, but he doesn't beat Diego Costa. Phenomenal save. But I do think that, you know, considering how Morens had worked so hard in that second half to keep the scoreline down to 1-0 and the opportunities that they had to score for themselves, I think they've got every right to be upset that they didn't nick something from the game in the end. Uh, there's two points I wanted to pick up there. But you mentioned um, Costa. I think both keepers had a fantastic game. I mean, yes. Pissanato in goal, you were a big fan of him last season. I think this was a, a stand-up performance for me, which I haven't seen in a while from him. But um, going back to Diego Costa, man, I mean, people say he should be called up to, to the Portugal team. He's been that good. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Phenomenal. And I, I, I honestly believe, like, you know, I, I talked about before early in the season, but... You know, with the was it the injuries to Marshallson? For me, Marshallson was going to be the start at the beginning of the season in conscious sales plans. But the fact that Costa got his chance and hasn't let go, you know, he hasn't let his performances drop once. There's not been a sniff of Marshallson coming back in, even when he returned from injury. So I think that's all credit to him. I think you're right to give a lot of credit to Marins because, like you said, they they were patient. You know, they 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 defended well. But for me, a really good move from Sarpinzo was playing Andre Luis and Rafael Martins up top. You know, usually there's there's two wingers either side of one of them throughout the season. But the fact that you put two of them up to cause problems, you know, test that back line with Cardozo coming into Porto's back line. I thought that was a great move. And because let's be fair, Andre Luis, he had a great game. He, he, he got Grujic sent off. Potentially soft fouls, but, you know, he, he knew what he was doing, certainly for the second one. And then, like you said, that free kick that hit the bar. I mean... It was a good game and, and we could have quite easily seen them come away with more than uh, more than zero points. I think you're spot on to, to highlight Andre Luiz there. He's been fantastic and I, I do really like him as a striker. He reminds me a lot of Ali Alipour from Maritimo, that kind of physical striker. Um, you know, we always do our best to try and highlight those hidden gems in the lower team. So for anybody listening, he, for me, is another one. If you're ever watching a Morrowinds game, keep your eye out for him up front because he's good. But I would think I would extend that to a front three of players that cause Porto a lot of problems because you have to include Yamateos in that, yeah. Barney. He was a real, real threat, arguably one of the best players on the pitch. And of course, he was responsible for the moment of the game that caused the most controversy. And there was a lot of controversy in the game. Uh, you alluded to the red card for Grich. We're going to come on to some of those refereeing decisions in just a moment. But the key moment of the game for me was at the end of the first half when Jan Mateus has the ball for Moren, seemingly beats his man and gets past Fabio Cardoso, gets into the box where he's then brought down by Uribe, already on a yellow by that point. Uh, and the ref signals for a penalty. Now, of course, the decision is checked as all penalty decisions are. What becomes apparent initially is that the foul may have been just outside the box and so not a pen, but still a free kick for Moren's and probably a second yellow for Uribe. But as the ref continues to consult the screen, they're showing the replay of that first duel between Jan Mateus and Fabio Cardoso. And it becomes clear that the ref has seen a touch from Jan's knee onto Cardoso's foot, which means that it's in fact a foul by Jan on Cardoso. Now, I have to say at the time, I was completely, completely shocked by this decision. I could not, for the life of me, see where that touch was supposed to have happened. Obviously, I'm not claiming to know more than the ref, of course, but we do see on screen everything that the ref is watching on his VAR monitor. Um, We saw the incident replayed multiple times. I personally cannot see where that touch has come from, but we have to trust that the ref has made the right call with the technology that he has. Um, What I will say to that is Cardoso is very, very, very lucky. He is a lucky boy there because he is well beaten by Jan Mateus. I think he's already going down. He's already falling as Mateus goes past him. And I think 
if there was some kind of minimal contact, um, it's very, very soft and it's it's enough to save him from being responsible for what I think is a very poor mistake. You said we uh, we, we have to trust the referee. That. Do, do we do, Albert? <laughs> <laughs> well, then my point is just that if he's looked at the monitor, uh, I'm not going to be the one to say that I can see better than him. You know, I'm watching on a laptop screen. He's watching on the monitor. I, I, we have to take his word for yeah, it. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that whole situation is one of these really murky, uncomfortable VAR situations, isn't it? Where like, you know, suddenly they're looking at, is it a different passenger play? Um, I don't particularly like to talk too much about it, mainly because I don't, to be honest, I don't know the, the full ins and outs of the laws of it regarding VR. But, you know, Cardoza was lucky, to be honest. And I think it's a, a, yet again another event where Carlos has been, I don't know, it, you do notice it when he's in the team, I think. And that's because I think that started as a sort of slight unfair narrative but as, as the season's gone on it I'm more inclined to agree with the, those people who, who don't rate him I don't want to make a habit about talking about referee issues every week because I know we spent a lot of time doing it uh, last week for the Sporting versus Porto game but I do think once again we have seen a really really poor refereeing display this time from Luis Godinho. I tweeted after the game that he was my least favourite ref in the league. And I think uh, a lot of people were in agreement with that. Barney's nodding his head. Um, but it, it wasn't just that, it wasn't just an incident like that which meant he had a bad game. Because like I said, I'm happy to give him the benefit of the doubt in a situation that he made the right call. Um, but it was, again, just for me in general, a really poor refereeing performance where a ref is just so eager to give out cards. Like he can't wait to dish out the yellows. 12 yellow cards he gave out in this game. Two players he gave two yellow cards to. As you mentioned, Marco Grujic for Porto got two yellows in 10 minutes, one of which was very soft, I have to say. And obviously with yellow cards, there's no VAR check, even if it's a second yellow. So nothing the ref can do there. And then, of course, Stephen Vittorio Barney, the most absurd story, one of the most absurd refereeing decisions I've seen uh, this whole season and probably last season as well. Uh, Godino gives him two yellow cards in the space of about 20 seconds. One for a foul, which, by the way, isn't even a foul when you watch the replay. And then a second yellow straight away because he takes uh, opposition to the way that Vittoria protests this decision. It was so bad. And it was just a referee so eager to give out the cards. You see when he pulls out a second yellow card, he's so determined to do it. He's so pleased with himself. It was just appalling decision-making. This is the top flight of a top European league, and this is meant to be one of the best refs. It, it's got to get better. The guy thinks he's fucking um, Pierluigi Collini, but fucking <laughs> he's two foot shorter. I mean, come on, man. That that For me, that that, that the sending off of Steven Vittoria is, um, is an absolute disgrace because it's completely... Sorry, I'm still laughing at Pierluigi Collini. <laughs> Sorry, but two for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, the Stephen Victoria red card is just a complete disgrace because it's so evident and so clear that in that moment it's just a man getting pissed off and wanting to assert, assert some authority. And I don't know if it's the same uh, as it's here in England, but like, can you contest um, red card suspensions if they're from two yellows? I'm not sure if you can. Because... I'm not sure. And so he's completely fucked over Stephen Vittoria there, who's been an important player for Marines at the back. So uh, I don't know. I, I thought that was disgraceful. And I just, yeah, I think you're right. Once again, it's a referee just dishing out the cards, like getting involved too much. And I really dislike this guy as well. Mate, if, if I was a Portuguese football fan, the next time uh, Luis Godinho was refereeing a game when I was in the stadium, I'd be starting a chant 
of all the fans of you're just a shit Pierluigi Colina. Be fantastic. <laughs> well, let's not leave this game on a negative because similar for me, Barney, to the Sporting versus Porto game last week, despite the referee's poor decision-making, I did think that this was an excellent game. And, and as a neutral, I watched this game in full last night and, and, and I loved it. I thought it was exciting. I thought it was dramatic. I thought Porto played well, but they were also well-tested. There was plenty of opportunity for the underdog to, to get a result. So this game really did have everything. And uh, it was a shame that there was poor refereeing, but that didn't overshadow what was an, an excellent an excellent game of football and, and a good example of why it's always worth watching these games, even if you think that the big team is going to walk all over the little team. And I, I do think we need to make a special mention to Marines for the, the turnaround of performance compared to how they played against the, the you know the five and loss against Family Cow. That was a that was really good to see. Well look Bonnie, let's move on. Let's talk about Benfica. Uh, obviously, Benfica went into their game against Boa Vista with two positive results under their belt, uh, a win against Tondela, where they seemed to be playing with more freedom, followed that up with a win against Santa Clara, where they came from behind. And as you said last week, Barney seems to show that they were able to sort of overcome their fears and, and see out tough games. But unfortunately, it was another slip up for Benfica as they let a 2-0 lead go and drew 2-2 in the end of Boa Vista. It goes without saying that it's a disappointing result. But what can you put it down to, Barney? Was it not enough chances created or was it poor defending? What was it? I thought they were fantastic first half. And then they just seemed to let Boa Vista come at them in, in the second. Before this game, Verissima said, you know, something along the lines of, do not underestimate this game. Do not have all your focus on the Champions League. You know, this, this is going to be a tough game. And I think what they did was just, perhaps they were focused on the Champions League. It just seemed to be that they had so much promise in the first half, so many good attacks, so many good passages of play. And then, you know, suddenly Bo Vista just got an absolute foothold in the game in the second half. So, and I actually wanted to highlight two players, Albert, because I think these are prime examples for a lot of other players in this Benfica team. Of, of, of In Otamendi and Vertonghen, I thought for both of Bo Vista's goals, they were slow to get into their man, you know, closing the gap. Part of that for me, for me is to do with their age and their pace, but also what do these two players have to prove? Well, what are they fighting for? There are several other players in the same situation, I feel, where there's nothing for them to to motivate them. You know, the league is gone and third place looks pretty nailed on for Benfica. You have players like uh, Gilberto, uh, Gilberto Weigel, Everton, uh, these players who most likely won't be picked for their international teams. So, so what have they got to prove as well? You know, Vertonga and Otamendi are coming to the end of their careers. You know, what, what have they got to prove? And so I know I've seen a lot of people starting to call for Verissimo's replacements coming now, but who would want to come into this team? Well, in my opinion, there's nothing to work with it in this Benfica squad. There's very few players who you've got something to like, oh, we can build on this or that. I just feel there's too many... Too many drifters. It's a good point. And you talk about lack of motivation, Barney. I also, I personally also think that this uh, result is is down to more of a psychological or mentality issue than, than anything else. For me, Barney, it's confidence as well. I think we're still looking at a wounded team. This is still a team that hasn't fully built up the confidence that that they lost uh, with such a damaging last couple of seasons. It's similar to what we saw when they lost that game against Gio Vicente. But this being a team that's not really able to cope when another team has a go at them. They obviously don't struggle to make their own chances in general. But I think we've seen recently this is a team that when another team that they come up against, even if it's a smaller team, when they really get in their face and they push them, they just don't have that kind of defensive confidence, that team uh, confidence to to keep the team out 
We saw it against Gil Vicente, as I said, when they lost 2-1 at home. And I think Gil Vicente won that game because they were the more confident team, not necessarily the better team. And I think in this game, Benfica obviously enjoyed a, a good first half where Bovista didn't really trouble them. But as soon as Bovista came out in that second half with high energy levels, uh, they were determined to try and get something from the game. Benfica were on the back foot and suddenly they just seemed to not be able to cope with what, what Bovista was showing them. We've obviously been quite critical of Benfica, but I do think we need to... Um praise their some of their first half performances I thought obviously I mentioned Tyrabs earlier who had a, a fantastic game getting a start um, having played so well coming on last game but I mean his influence was evident in that in that beautiful goal I mean uh, is it only second for the club though but that, that goal how good was that move you know the players involved Goncalo Ramos the little backer from Rafa which at first looked it was uh, too far ahead but Tarab did really well to finish that I mean I was I was disappointed when Kyle Ramos got taken off. I actually thought he was having a very good game in this one. I agree and, with that. Um, I think he was taken off too early, but um, there are some promising uh, points from this game. It's just it's just the second half, like we've talked about. They just switched off, and that is also credit to Bo Vista, by the way. Definitely, and we did have a little joke about Adele Trapped last week. And anyone who listens to the show knows that we love this guy. We love his his story, and and we often exaggerate his his ability a bit, but. I think in all seriousness, he's obviously not a world-class player and we know he has his weaknesses, especially as evident in this game, the fact that he can seemingly only contribute about 60 minutes to a game, which is, of course, an issue in itself. But I think what we've said before and I think what was evident in this first half is that he is still a valuable player and he has he has a role that he can contribute to the team. He can't do everything anymore. But what he can do, and I think he does better than anybody else at Benfica, including the other central midfield options like Julian Weigel, like Joao Mario, very simple job, but he wins the ball back in midfield and he moves it up the pitch, either with a key pass or by moving the ball forward and stuff. It's a very simple job, but it's one he does very effectively. And it always reminds me of a comment I heard from Roy Keane in an interview about his career. Because, you know, this is a man that played hundreds of games for Manchester United as a captain, but wasn't necessarily the most technically gifted player. And when asked about his career, he always said, I could do three simple things. I could tackle, I could pass, and I could run. And I did those three things very well. And I think Adel Terraps is a similar kind of player. He just has a couple of key attributes. He does them very well. Perhaps it's easy to nullify, but in the right game, this is still a player that can make a great contribution. Sorry, I'm smiling lots because I think um, last season I compared Tarab to Zidane and, and this season you compared <laughs> to Roy Keane. <laughs> but no, I think that's a good point. And, and I'll tell you what, if you're happy, I was going to move the conversation on to Bovista because I think um, there's a player in their midfield who has similar attributes in, in, in Makuta who had a, mm. a, a fantastic game. You know, what? like we've been saying, I, I think he was a, he's a box-to-box Midfield, he had relentless energy, and I think this season he signed from Braga B, uh, coming into Boa Vista, and he's had an interesting career. I think it was either Mark Rodden or Con Murphy, the the Irish commentators who put into it that he'd also previously played for Longford Town Line. So this guy's a real a bit of a journeyman, but I think you know since he's come on the scene at Boa Vista this year, I, he's really impressed me. I think I think that that's the way Boa Vista plays, you know, getting the ball up quickly, and and he's he's a real key cog in this Boa Vista uh, midfield. And of course, it's a wonderful finish, Barney. For his goal, yeah, absolutely. Of course, set up by another player that I wanted to to praise, and that's a player we mentioned before, that's Kenji Gorey. He came on as a substitute. I thought he had a great impact on the game. He was just the player that they needed, not just because of the assist for the goal, but 
you know, his direct running at players caused Benfica all sorts of problems in their defence. And, and he was exactly the type of player that they needed, that injection of positivity that, as we mentioned, Benfica often struggled to deal with. And of course, it's also just worth mentioning Gustavo Sauer as well for a wonderful finish uh, for Boavista's first goal. When I think of those key players at Boavista, those, those, those gems that they've got, I think about Gustavo Sauer, I think about Peter Musa. you know, so they have got gems in that side. And I think we joke all the time about Petit's sides always giving Benfica three points. And I joked last week that maybe this that was going to happen again this week. But look, he clearly gave them a bit of a kick at halftime that they needed to get back in the game and, and full credit to them because it worked. I think, uh, was it Gustavo Sara and um, Yusuf and G uh, both getting their 100th games for Bovista, which is great. So, uh, yeah, like you said, Sara's finish was great. But I think both their goals, Albert, there was um, some really good football. For Sowers, I think Nathan has some excellent work on that right wing. He's been fantastic, a, a really exciting player as well. So I know, is it their seventh draw in eight games now for Bovista? But these are going to be valuable points. You know, we, we can't forget that this, this is one of the weakest squads in the league, uh, even compared to some of the promoted teams. You know, Petit's doing a, a solid job and, and this was a great point for them. The fans might not like me saying it, but it's all points on the board on the way to survival, um, which, will be, which will be fantastic for them. Well, let's do the last game of the big three, Barney. Uh, let's talk about Sporting versus Estoril, which was obviously a game that we picked up quite a lot last week as a game to look out for. Two good teams in this division and a potential banana skin for Sporting, but they did deal with the situation admirably uh, and brushed aside Estoril 3-0. A red card incident that might have been a controversial to some and that Estoril were down to 10 men for a lot of the second half. But for me, it wouldn't have made much difference as I think Sporting were pretty comfortable throughout the whole game. They're really jelly at the moment, aren't they? I think, you know, there was some real class. Paulino had at least two beautiful back kills. One of them was assisting the, with the Mateus Reese goal as well. Happy for Pote to get his goal, even if it was a, a tap-in. You know, they, they all <laughs> yeah. count. And then Sarabia. The guy is just... I think it's hard to gauge, isn't it, for me personally, because I never really watched him at P- uh, PSG. I never really appreciated him as a player. I don't... You know, I couldn't tell you where he was before PS, PSG. You know, he's, he's that sort of player that, is, for me, has gone under the radar. But seeing him now, it's completely evident to me that this guy is is a different class. And the way he's a, he's a, excelled under Amarin as well. And, and I think maybe a game or two, the first two games, he perhaps wasn't as influential. But then, since then, the, the, guy is, the guy's just been unbelievable. The thing is, Barney, we spoke about him when he signed and the deal that brought him to the club. And it was obviously very much a case of sporting, saying to PSG, look, you're going to take our best young player. We want something out of this. Who can you give us? And it was Sarabia on loan. And, and, and we wondered whether maybe he wouldn't gel in the team if he didn't really want to be there. Maybe he would be a bit of a mercenary. But full credit to him and full credit to the team for, for helping him bed in because he's he's committed to this club now. And he's really committed to being a sporting player and is, as you say, putting in some phenomenal performances it was a wonderful wonderful goal we've been treated to some wonderful goals in recent weeks but this was just a fantastic strike from the right hand side of the box cutting in on his left foot he hits the ball with so much curl but also so much power it's a fantastic finish and a goal that really summed up uh, a good season for sporting the question i want to ask you barney do you think he's the league's best player for me there's only competition really with the likes of maybe vitinha but 
he's just as you say he just strikes me as as a, as a class above what we're used to in this league yeah I think he um, you know now Luis Diaz is gone I think he's he certainly is particularly just in his con- goal contributions as well the guy is um, he's always contributing uh, I've been thinking about how I've been watching sporting this season and I think compared to last season now, the, the football has drastically improved I think Porto have players who come up with magic but sporting the whole team starting to play in such an exciting way I think uh, that obviously that's all credit to Amron and, and, and compared to last season you know there's not as they're obviously not as reliant on um, some of the the headed goals or sort of being completely solid at the back there, there's some real good football going on I thought it was really nice to see Slomani get on as well uh, alongside Paulini as well I've, I have written down you know where's Edwards I want to see a bit more from him but I know I've got to be patient we've got to be patient I obviously totally understand Edwards being kind of eased into the team um, the only thing that slightly grinds my gears is when we start seeing Bruno Talbotton brought on as a sub ahead of Edwards. I just think, you know, they're similar players, they play similar roles and Edwards could be impacting the team more. But no, absolutely, we've got to be patient on that one. Uh, and of course, Barney, one other player who we've praised a lot so much this season but managed to get on the score sheet in this game, the one goal scorer we haven't mentioned, Mateus Reese. He impressed throughout the game and, and this time he was rewarded with a goal, something we don't see from him very often, a proper toe punt into the goal. I did really enjoy that. But um, it was a goal that his recent performances have deserved. I did want to talk about the red card, Albert, just because obviously Raul Silva came on as a substitute and they got sent, sent off for this uh, incident a, a few minutes later. And I have seen the picture of Poirot's leg as well and it does look horrible. But what I will say is that Raul Silva, he, he's kicked the ball cleanly and, and, and it's the follow-through that's obviously caused the injury to Poirot. But is it his fault that Poro is there in that position because are we saying that Raul Silva shouldn't have kicked the ball is that what we're saying that just doesn't quite feel right I understand I think personally I did think it was a red card I mean obviously it's a different type of incident where he does get the ball so the red is for dangerous play and I think it's similar to when you maybe see someone go in for a slide tackle they might touch the ball first but then they go over the ball with their studs up um, because it's considered a dangerous challenge, therefore it's a red card. I did think it was nasty. I thought the follow-up was he goes studs up straight into his shins. He then fo- almost follows that up with a kind of, uh, he drags his foot down to almost step on his ankle with his studs up. I thought it was nasty. I thought it was a dangerous challenge and I thought the red card was a fair decision, to be honest. Barney's just a classic hard man. He doesn't like to see the, <laughs> the game gone. So. <laughs> the game's gone. <laughs> I mean, it was unlucky to happen a few minutes after he came off the bench. I felt a bit sorry yeah. for that. But yeah. no, I think um, it's in the current rule book. And yeah, for me, it was all right. Yeah, fair. Well, look, Estrell, this was the start of Estrell's tough run, wasn't it? They, they obviously played sport, lost to Sporting this game. They've next got Boa Vista, Gil Vicente, Portsmouth and Benfica. Those next three games are, are, are really key because I, I think part of me has forgotten that they are the promoted team because of how good they were at the beginning. But, you know, you've got to remember, this is a squad of players, for me, have overachieved. So, you know, I don't think they're going to finish fifth. These next three games with Bovis and Vicente Portland will sort of show me the, the level they're at. They're, they're certainly safe, that's for sure. They've done a, an excellent job of doing that. But I think, you know, we're sort of seeing the, the real Estro at the moment. Well, they made a roll for their own back, haven't they? Really, their success means that we, we judge them differently now. And I definitely hold them to quite high standards. We've seen what they're capable of. But no, you're quite right. They're having a great season. Anything other than not being relegated is a bonus. So I think they should just be putting those high standards on themselves and trying to keep as high up the table as they can. You know, they've got an opportunity here to have a great season. So yeah, I think they should be, they should be pushing on for more. Well, let's move on, Barney. Uh, Let's talk about some football from outside of the big three. And to be totally honest with you, this next game is the game I've been most excited to talk about this week from this week's fixtures, because 
Aruka got only their fifth win of the season. And it was a very impressive 3-1 away win at Vittoria. First half goals from Basso, Anthony and Bukaya earned them the points. That's now two wins and one draw from their last five games. And it was a result that moved them above Tondela and into 15th place outside of the relegation spots. It's a vital win for a team that need to be picking up points wherever they can get them if they're going to stay in this division. I think it's the first time all season Aruka have scored more than two goals as well. I, just, I was just so impressed with their attackers. I think Anthony, for me, the 20-year-old Brazilian we are, the, the times I've seen him this season, he is so good on the ball. Such a great dribbler. I think he's got real potential. But what I liked about him in this game out is that he, he attacked from the front. He won the ball at high up the field. He put in tackles. He, he pressurised that that right-hand side of uh, Vittoria's defence really, really well. And then Andre Bukia on the other wing as well, cutting in with his left foot. He's played every single game for Ruka this season. He's got four goals now for the season, which I perhaps he maybe would have liked a few more, but um, he's the most foul player in the league. You know, the Wilfred Zaha stat- statistic. Yeah. And I think that, I really like that as a statistic. I think it just tells a story. You know, it's a guy who causes problems. It's a guy who can get free kicks for his team. It's a guy who will take on a man, beat him. And I think these those two wingers for me are, you know, it's easy to forget that Ruka have got these exciting players for me. Uh, it's also a statistic that shows that defenders can't get near him, which I think was absolutely the case uh, in this game. I really liked Ruka's performance because they scored all different types of goals, which is what I liked. They scored a header from a corner, Showing that you know they can they can score from set pieces. That's so valuable to any team. Uh, they scored a goal on a really fast counter attack. Uh, I think that was the second goal that Anthony scored. And then of course that third goal where they sived through Vettoria's mm. midfield uh, and defence with some quick passing. Uh, they got between the lines, and I just thought it was a really well rounded performance. And you know everyone knows that we've got a little soft spot for the underdogs. I think we'd both be very happy if uh, if Aruka stayed up. And I think. It's been difficult for them because they have found a lot of games just a bit too much of a step up for the squad that they have. And, you know, it's a fantastic story, them getting to the first division. But I think they have shown in games like this and and in their recent fixtures, as I said, two wins, one draw from the last five games, some good performances that there's plenty to build on. And they've got a chance, you know, they've given themselves with these types of wins, they're giving themselves a chance of staying up. It's the best they can do, really. The business they've done in January, I think, like you said, I think that does give them a real chance of staying up. And the player for me, perhaps the most, I know they signed one into NEM. I talked about the big striker, Pedro Marquez, who they signed from uh, Brazil, who, who missed that opportunity at the end, by the way. He should have, he should have made that 4-1. Four, four mm. But um, it's a midfielder, out, David Samal, coming back to the club, having been a, a free agent since August. It's a good bit of business for me. He's 32 years old, but, you know, He's got to bring. He's got experience in this league. He's been at some good clubs elsewhere in Europe as too. You know, he's a what's the phrase? A seasoned pro. But I think that is going to be important for them because we've mentioned their exciting young wingers. They've obviously got a defense built around Jao Basso, who is another really interesting player for me. But you know, I'm absolutely drawn to him. I don't know if it's the tash, the hair, but he's he's a <laughs> centre back on penalties as well. He's interesting because I really rate him, but and I, I wonder if we could see him at a bigger team in the summer. But going back to sorry, where I wanted to talk about that midfield with David Samal coming in with him and Pedro Morea as well those two in the midfield could be real key for Aruka we know they like to keep the ball I think they're seventh in the league for the amount of passes they play per game they're good on possession stats but those players you know who will know how to you know the right moments is to to keep hold of the ball or, or when to take a little break I think that'll be really important for them of course Ryan, we do have to talk about the big elephant in the room here uh, which is of course Vittoria and while they scored an excellent goal their defence was 
pretty shocking. And how many times am I going to say that this season, Barney? You know, they were unable to defend that set piece, which led to Aruba's goal. They were really badly caught on the counter-attack for the second. I mean, the amount of space that Anthony's in is unreal, really. And then, of course, they were passed through far too easily for that third goal. It was poor, Barney. It was so poor. And it, it's a defence that's really letting them down in games. You know, as I said, Estupinan, for me, scored a fantastic goal. I thought it was a great cross from Ferreira. And, you know, Estupinan showed really great desire to get in on the end of it. Very well-worked goal from not a great chance. But it's no use. It's no use when your defence is so bad that you're letting in free goals to a team threatened with relegation. You've got, they've got major, major issues there. The, the prime example for me was the Aruka's second goal, where I just thought that the defending was shocking. I think Moomin pushes up to play offside while Fernandez is tracking back. You know, Ferreira, the right back, was just nowhere to be seen. He was obviously marauding up the, up the wing. And I think it, it seems that he likes to attack a bit more than he does to defend. And this is an argument for Pepper under delivering. It, it, it's that defence. There's been no improvement. There's been plenty of time this season for him to work on that defence and, and they've they've looked absolutely clueless in, in, in so many games this season you know when I say there's time there's been time for them to work on it there's also been a, a transfer window for them to work on it but nothing has happened the president of Victoria Miguel Pinto Lisboa you know he's, he's of course he's coming under a lot of fire and it's going to be interesting because there are elections in a couple of weeks but if you look at what he's done this season you know it was fantastic getting pepper in but since then what you know his poor investment key departures in the window edwards andre andre fale Sacco as well financial issues i mean you look at that report that came out recently you know this murky business with porto where they've reportedly spent 22 million on two porto youth players like what the hell's happened there um, the SAD meeting in the winter where they said they needed to raise 10 million euros from sales. It's just so poorly run for some time now. And and I, I, I am generally worried for Victoria. I wouldn't be surprised if a scandal comes out about from this club. I wouldn't be surprised if Pepper goes, you know, and suddenly like, where are they? What have they got? It, it, it just, it's, it's a real worrying time for me. Very worrying times, you know, and it sounds dramatic, but the way things are going, I wouldn't be surprised if this time next season we're talking about Victoria sleepwalking into a relegation battle. You know, that's the kind of, that's the trajectory that this team is on at the moment, the kind of self-destruct button that, that they've pushed. I do want to come back on what you said about Pepper because I was nodding my head throughout what you were saying. I couldn't agree more. He has to really be questioned here. Yes, the defence is poor, but like you said, it's been poor all season and he's been working with them the whole time with no improvement. I did see some interesting comments online after the game, Barney, people saying that in his post-match interview, he looks defeated. He looks like he doesn't have the answers on how to improve them. God knows, Barney, there's no two bigger Pepper fans than me and you after that season he had with Passos. He left them last season with his stock sky high. You know, this was a young manager that that really had his, his pick of teams if he wanted it. But you have to say, his reputation now is taking a real kick in here at Pretoria because despite the fact that they started the season in a weak position, there's barely been any signs of improvement. You're right to point out all the off-the-field issues, but on the field, I just don't think we've seen enough from him to justify the kind of reputation that he had at the start of the season. A statistic that stood out for me in this game, Albert, was um, aerials won and tackles won. So Aruka won 20 aerials compared to Vittoria's 13, and Aruka also made 22 tackles compared to Vittoria's 13. The 4-4-2 formation that Pepper went with in this game, which is a change, you know, with Semedo and Silver in the middle, that pair of them made one tackle between them, and it was just a, a weak midfield. And when Andre Almeida came on, 
in the, in the second half. He came on, he made four tackles, committed three fouls, and was clearly trying to do something. And Albert, I had a moment of clarity when I saw that because he's a completely forgotten man here whenever we talked about Victoria. Because we thought last season we'd found the next big player to come out of team, not in the, the big three in, in Portugal. Yeah. And it's got to be a tarnish on Pepe's record as a manager. He hasn't made him a key player in this team. You've got a, a player who's come up through this club, will fight for the team, you know, and has got an abundance of talent and we haven't seen him at all this season. And like I mentioned that point at the beginning with the, the, the midfield, it's weak. Semedo's weak. Silva's a good player, but he's, you know, he can't be played in a two. He needs to play in a, a free, one of three central midfielders. It's just, I'm really disappointed that Andre Almeida hasn't been given the opportunity that he, he deserved this season. I'd be interested to listen back, Brian, because I can't quite remember, but at the end of last season, we did, our best 11 of the season, but also best 11 of players outside the big three. And I think he might have been in the discussion to be in that midfield. So Ryan Gold might have pipped him to the... Might have just pipped him, to be fair. <laughs> Barney, Zach Lowry on Twitter made me, made me laugh. He summed it up perfectly. He just put out a tweet that said, Vittoria are exactly the type of team to beat Braga with 10 men and then next week lose at home 3-1 to Aruka. Well, let's talk about something else. I think we've only got time to do a couple more games quite quickly, Barney, but we will spend time talking about a few more fixtures. Um, I do quickly want to touch on Passos de Ferreira versus Rosella Barney, a game that ended 2-1 to Passos. A game that's easy to overlook, but I think it's important not to underestimate this result. Passos very quickly becoming the league's draw specialist. That's four draws in their last six games. They broke that cycle by coming from behind to beat Vizela 2-1. It's been tricky at times for Passos this season, but I do like what I see from them. I do like what this good young manager, Cesar Pichotto, is bringing in. Uh, and this game, I was I was particularly impressed by by their comeback. I think what's really interesting with this um, Passos Ferreira side is that I think, in a way, and I, I know this is going to sound weird, but I think in a way, losing Estacchio losing a couple of other players that like they did in the, in the January transfer window is actually benefited them in, in terms of having to change things. You look at Nuno Santos playing further on the pitch, but wide. Um, Macho Giao coming in the middle, playing as a 10 behind Danielson. You know, playing with the, the, the midfield pivot of uh, Luis Carlos and Rui Pires, a player we've barely seen, but had a, has looked good in the last couple of games for me. I think this force change is, is giving players opportunities and, and, and just mix it, giving them a bit of a, a refresher. You know, Macho Joao, I've always been banging on him, but like it got his goal. I think it was just a, a really interesting dynamic he brought to this past the Ferreira team to just to mix things up. Obviously, they were playing against 10 men for a, a vast amount of this game, but still, I think this was a, a, an exciting performance from Pastor the Ferreira, one that we haven't seen for a long time. Uh, an exciting performance, of course, summed up by a world-class goal from Nuno Santos. Uh, it's really hard for me to decide, finally, which goal was better from this week, this goal or or that of Sarabia's. Both wonderful finishes. I know a lot of people maybe didn't see this game, so it's really worth going and checking out the highlights just for this goal alone. There's some great angles of this goal, especially the one where they show the shot from behind. He takes on the shot mid-bounce, just batters it into the top corner. Really, uh, really fantastic finish. I haven't got much to say on Vizela Barney, but the one thing that I do want to say, and I have mentioned it a few times, was how pleasing it was to see that away end packed full of Vizela fans in such great voice, you know, 
again, it's not a really long distance for them to travel, but still, you know, this is a historically small club who who continually proved that they've got a really, really supportive fan base, a fan base that backs them, not just at home, but away from home as well. Well, lastly, finally, let's do Family Cal versus Maritimo, a game that ended 1-0 to Family Cal. Another game that we thought would be a good one to watch. Obviously, Family Cal on a good run of form and Maritimo, who have been excellent under new manager Vasco Siabra. But it ended up with Family Cal just edging it 1-0 with a goal from Simon Banza. Great for Family Cal to get two wins in a row. I'm not sure how many times that's happened this season, if at all. And great for Simon Banza to score two games in a row after a little goal drought that he was on before these two fixtures. Yeah, this is a massive, massive win for Family Cal. You know, off the bounce of that that fantastic 5-0 win. They just want to change the, their momentum, don't they? And it looks like they're completely going in the right way. I saw a few people on Twitter just sort of saying, like, having Texaria in, in the team just makes these boys turn into men. And I think that does sort <laughs> of resonate with me because I think a few more players since his arrival were playing with a, a lot more confidence. Banzer in particular, he has obviously been exciting with the prospects of getting uh, more service from from a player like Texera. Marita perhaps a little unlucky, Albert. Obviously, that they, they, they a red card in this game as well. Claudia Wink getting getting two yellows and, and Joel Tagu missing a penalty, which which could have completely changed the game. So a shame for them, but a, a, a great result for Family Cal. It's also worth mentioning, Barney, that this was only Maritimo's third loss under manager Vasco Ciabra. Those other two losses came against Benfica and Porto, so I don't think they should be too hard on themselves. Tough game coming up against Sporting uh, this week, but in general, uh, things going very well. I think that brings me on nicely, Barney, to the end of the show. As our listeners will know, we like to round off each episode with some game recommendations for people to watch at the weekend. Obviously, European football action during the week, but come the weekend, it's focus returns to the Premier League. And as you were saying to me, Barney, before we recorded, this is a fantastic weekend of fixtures. It really is a case of take your pick, really. Forget about Friday night, B-Sad versus Passos. I'll probably skip that, to be honest. But from then on, you've got some fantastic fixtures every day. The big three are all in action. Benfica at home to Vittoria. Sporting are away at Maritimo, as we just mentioned. But I think the pick of the big three games for me, Barney, will be FC Porto versus Gil Vicente at 8.30 on Sunday night. I think that could be a really interesting fixture. Absolutely. I think Gil Vicente getting yet another win at the weekend puts them firmly on fifth out, but they're 10 points ahead of Victoria in sixth and only four points off Braga in fourth. Just the absolute informed team. Of, of this league I would say so that is going to be one hell of a game I, I could give us a just a bit more spice in this title race man I, I, that's what I'm hoping for definitely and look as always we do like to give a little bit of a hipster choice as well a recommendation for a game not involving one of the big three I'm tempted Barney to go for the Monday night fixture of Braga versus Santa Clara but do you know what I'm going to stick with my instinct and I'm going to go for a game on Saturday night at 8.30pm when you're on the sofa the day's finished. You finish the takeaway. The football's over for the day. You could just stick on Aruka versus Morarens. Two teams that we talked about at length this week. Two teams that on paper might not provide the most exciting fixture, but I've just got a feeling that Aruka looking to build on their recent good form and Morarens inspired by the fiery sarpins. So I think that could be a tasty little game. I like that a lot. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Absolutely. Well, look, We'll leave it there. That does bring us to the end of the show for another week. We, of course, want to say a big thank you to everybody who listened. If you want to support the show, you can give us a little review on Apple Podcasts or you can leave us a star rating 
on Spotify. Both of those will help us be discovered by more people looking for Portuguese football content. If you want to contact the show, you can find us on Twitter at Football. Get over there and follow us if you don't already. We always love getting involved in your conversations. Drop us a message, leave us a comment, and we'll always get involved in uh, any conversations you guys want to have. But it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again next week. Yes, see you next week.